Welcome back to the Spock of the Week archives. I am one of your hosts, JJ, aka the Albert Android. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and if you're joining us once again, good to see you back. Each week in Season 1 we are bringing you our original YouTube videos in podcast form, so you can listen to us on the go whenever you like, however you like. Please consider subscribing to us on the platform you are listening to, and if you would like to support our work, please become a patron. You can do this at www patreon.com forward slash spock of the week but whatever you decide to do we are happy to have you listening to us today so thank you without further ado let's get into the episode hi this is sean ferrick from trek culture you are listening to spock the week podcast So guys, we're going to start off with uh, Generations as our first venture into the uh, Next Generation films. So, Greg and Sarah, Generations. Now, I wanted to finish off on this one in the last episodes, but you guys argued me it, out of it. It is a TNG well, why film. Why did you start? Well, I genuinely believe it's a handing over of the baton. Uh, you know, when Kirk, you know, officially dies on this planet and then... You know, you see the two captains, and it's them saying, you know, there has to be, there has to, don't ever, you know, Kirk says to Picard, don't ever let them take you off the bridge of the Enterprise, you know. That sort of passing of the advice, the passing of the, you know, the the, the, the verbal and physical baton, I think, in the movie sense, I think that's, I think we should have finished off on that one last time. But. No, it finished in six, they signed off as a team, they were together one last time for a big adventure, and then they finished and they were to report for the decommissioning and then Spock says, screw it, no, off we pop. And they went away and they had the last big adventure. The problem I have with Generations, the story's actually great, mm-hmm. but I feel Kirk is superfluous to the whole story. We didn't need him and I think it would have been stronger without him because that was a Picard story and actually none of the rest of the crew are there and the, it's the original series crew were together in six and that was the handover at the very end he references mm. the next generation taking over and obviously there's more than that because we have enterprise b c before we get to d which is picard's so for me that's a, a big issue because he didn't need to be in it for that handover and it would have been stronger for picard to have got his way out of the nexus under his own steam rather than Kirk to the rescue yet again. Kirk had to come and save the galaxy one last time. Yeah. Kirk had died, and that was that. And I think it should have been left as it was, and it was Picard that saved the universe this time. So let's get let's get onto the merits of the film then. Let's get onto we'll, we'll we'll put that to bed then. We'll we'll leave that. I'll concede that point. I'll you know. Don't have to. That's just just my opinion. Well, we've only got a short amount of time to talk about the film, so. Uh, <laughs> What's your opinion? Uh, the, the Kirk stuff doesn't work for me simply because they got such a brilliant send-off in Six and that was it. Simple as that. They got a brilliant send-off in Six and for various different reasons, be it commercial, the studio, whatever, they wanted this Kirk Picard moment that was completely unnecessary. Yeah, but there were, they, they, they had so many moments in the, the Next Generation series. They had Spock talking to Picard, there was a whole storyline around that and they had a handover from McCoy who makes an appearance and they'd had little touches like that I just they kind of seemed to shoehorn Shatner into it because they felt like he had mm-hmm. to have his place and actually 
Picard was able to carry a movie on his own, as he proves doubtlessly in countless times. He was strong enough, and I feel it's a little bit of an insult to his character and the actor to say, oh, we need to put a bigger name in there. Mm. That, that's that's the problem I have with it. The storyline is brilliant, though. I love it. I absolutely love it. This this whole mad scientist trying to get back into the Nexus, dragging everybody with him. He doesn't really give a I mean, damn. I mean, he I wants to film. reach that Nirvana state again. I, I like the film. Um, what I don't get about that particular point is how he has to get the Nexus to come to... Because every ship that gets destroyed that goes near it, We'll just fly into it because how do you think Kurt got into there? He was on a ship that got, you know, he was on the bit of the Enterprise that got touched by the Nexus and he ended up in the Nexus. So, why all this rigmarole about destroying stars? And I mean, yeah, it makes a great movie, but it's a bit he's of trying a, to get it to change course, though. It was all about actually trying to get it to come around his bit because it was very unpredictable where it goes, so he's trying to control it. That's but that's it, that's just a small thing. I mean, it's, it is my go to film if I want to have a laugh. Uh, if I'm feeling a bit shitty and stuff like that and I want to have something to cheer me up, I watch that film. And I watch that film um, when I'm in that mood, pure and simply for the one moment when the saucer section of the Enterprise crashes into the adjacent Ah, oh, yeah. Because uh, nothing makes me smile more than Data saying, oh, shit, <laughs> as he cries into the... I mean, the use of the emotion chip in this film... Is just, I mean, it, Brent Spiner, brilliant, I think, to be honest with you. I think, I know it's about Picard and it's about the, you know, and stuff like that. It's, uh, But I think Brent Spiner's character is a very close second to Picard's in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, if only as a, com- a comedic contrast, but I don't, you know, I, I, I watch it for data. I like it as a whole, but I do watch it for data. It's going good. I think there's quite a bit of a missed opportunity as well, though, because we we are introduced to a little bit of Gangnam's backstory as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I almost wish that, as much as I absolutely love the scene on the the Enterprise at the beginning, where everything's coming on Tuesday, um, you know, don't tell me Tuesday. I love that, but I actually wish actually could we have used that time to explore more of Gangnam's past history and how she, because we see this just this little snippet of, of how she arrives and I think actually uh, cut all of that out, we don't need that old stalwart bringing, you know, this, this bigger mystery about Gainan and it could have been quite interesting to explore a bit I mean, more. It could have been a film on its own to be honest, it still could be <laughs> if you're watching uh, but yeah, um, something else we see in this film as well mm-hmm. the Dura Sisters yeah, I mean, but there's aspects of it. I mean, I've, I think Generations has quite a lot of detractors. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. I quite enjoy it. That's not to say that it's not flawed, because I do think it has some serious flaws. But one thing about Generations is when we go into first contact um, in a few minutes, they didn't, at that time, Star Trek was so big, they really didn't make too many compromises to the cinema audience mm-hmm. in terms of getting them up to speed with over-exposition in the films mm-hmm. and they brought a lot of things in and the Judas Sisters being one of the things that they brought in from the TV series um, and they didn't really explain who they were in the film um, so yeah, they, they did that I mean, where I think the film is flawed is A, the Kirk stuff that we've mentioned already uh, I, I think the Nexus stuff, if you listen to Brannon Braga and Ronald D. Moore on the DVD com- commentary, they, they express their own regrets about the construction of the story and the Nexus 
and part of it was to bring Kirk and Picard together and they felt a lot of the Nexus stuff, not just Kirk and Picard, but they felt a lot of the Nexus stuff was very forced, very contrived. And I think that's where, you know, I'm not, I'm not that much of an expert in story that I can break it down to the level that they do, but I think that's where I feel that the story is not as strong as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the film, it, it does have moments, um, you know, the introducing, you know, introducing Dinan in the movie, as, pro- as opposed to the TV series, but then not really covering her backstory, not really giving Soren's backstory apart from he lost his family. Um, very little um, backstory into Soren, what was driving Soren other than a factual element of his family background. Um, and I think, you know, coming back to stuff that they didn't explain in the movie for the cinema audience, stuff like the emotion chip, which was, you know, going back to Dr. Soong and Lore and all that. Um, so I think it's a better film than a lot of the, the fans say. Um, but it's not without its flaws. I think the Nexus stuff is a little bit forced and Kirk was unnecessary. And I think they did explore again, not explaining to the cinema audience that maybe hadn't seen it, the fact that um, Picard's nephew and brother were killed in the fire in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you've watched the TV series, if you've watched the episode Family, you know exactly who they're talking about. They never make any concession to the cinema audience, but that's a um, a measure of how big Star Trek was in the 90s, that they felt they didn't need to do that transition for the, or that explanation for the cinema audience. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd, I'd give it a solid 6.5 out of 10. I think it did well to, um, to basically bring Trek to the movies, the generations, next generation Trek to the movies for the fans, uh, but without patronising or... Um, sort of been um, contrived about, you know, about sort of over-explaining because, you know, as a Trek mm-hmm. fan, you wouldn't want to go to a movie and sit through 20 minutes of explaining why, who Guinan is or who the Juris Sisters is because most of the people going to the films would know who that is already, which is which is good that they did that. They could have done that. They could have gone through the whole backstory, but I think that would have spoiled it even further. I mean, for me, I'm saying just, just for Data's one line, or Data's comedy, it's a definite solid eight for me, I think. Don't know why we started doing eight out of ten scores, but... Because no. I just couldn't <laughs> remember. And I don't really want to score for it, because the more I watch it, the, the, the better it gets. But I just think it was a TNG film, should have been that from the start. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, well, if this thing is still recording, we'll see you back in a few minutes uh, for the second Next Generation film. Okay, guys, the line is drawn here. No further. We are now on to first contact. Um, personally, I think one of the best of the Next Generation films, personally. Um, I think if I was putting it in order, it would definitely be up there uh, at the top for me. Of course, this is where it all began, Zephyrin Cochran, we have the Borg, we have some brilliant acting from Jean-Luc Picard in, you know, the, the scenes where he just loses his shit, you know, that, honestly, um, I think that really shows brilliantly uh, John Luke's uh, character. I love it. 
I love the film. I can I can't say a bad thing about it. I really cannot say a bad thing about it. I have to agree with you. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's probably the the better film. I almost wish you could kind of that would have been the, the first one they'd done out of the the, the bag for mm-hmm. TNG. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, and there's some wonderful comedic moments as well. With Diana gets drunk looking for Zephyr and Cochrane, um, some some you know there's very some very serious storylines, but there's also quite a bit of humour involved as well. And we explore a lot more of Data's emotion chip as well with the with the Bow Queen. So an absolute humdinger. Yeah, uh, for me, right up there with the Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some high praise coming from Gregor there. Right up there, um, obviously, it's Jonathan Frakes who directed a number of episodes, as did a number of the cast, uh, but let loose with the, the camera, or let loose with the script and the camera and production um, on a movie um, for the first time, and what a, what a job he did it. You know, great script, from again, from Ronald Dimu and Brandon Braga, um, Patrick Stewart's a producer, so he obviously had some creative input as well, but you know, very much Jonathan Frakes and all the understanding and all the talent that he brought behind the camera to bring all those elements, all those people together and uh, make it a great film. Um, I mean, from, I mean, the first time I seen it, I didn't actually think it was that great. I watched it with my then girlfriend, not you. Um, and she I actually did, watched it with my then boyfriend, who was him. Um, she didn't like it, so she's gone. Oh, I love it. Um, she didn't like it, and then it wasn't until I num- saw it a number of years later uh, that I actually saw it again. I thought, actually, yeah, that's that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you alluded to, some of the acting from Patrick Stewart, particularly the, uh, yeah. the scene with uh, Alfred Woodard. So you have two acting heavyweights and if you listen to the commentary and Jonathan Fakes was talking to the commentary that scene where Patrick Stewart does the line, my line must be drawn here took him three, three days to film that scene Oh, okay. just Alfie Woodard and Patrick Stewart just going at it, going at each other um, in that scene um, so yeah just fantastic stuff all round um, and you know coming back to what I said earlier about you know making no apologies to the, sh- the the cinema audience for just mm-hmm. you know the very opening scene there's absolutely no hanging about within five minutes we're at war with the Borg and there's no explanation of who the Borg are there's no explanation as to why Jean-Luc Picard has had this dream about the Borg you know if you're a cin- member of the cinema audience at that point and you've never seen Star Trek you've no idea that he'd been assimilated and it's just straight into it and you know, I guess if you if you've never seen an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, never mind a Borg episode, when you're on the Enterprise in first contact, and the scene where they're then walking past the Borg and the Borg interfering, you must be thinking to yourself, these are the worst baddies ever because they can't run, they can't do anything, and they're not even attacking the good guys here when they're walking past them. But only if you know, only if you're a Star Trek fan do you actually yeah, understand that. Mm-hmm. And the, the movie makes no attempt to explain, no serious attempt at all to explain any of that. Um, I think that's what makes it good all round, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I know it's like, um, this, this, uh, for me at least, if I go to see a film that I've never seen, if it might be a franchise I've never seen, if it looks good to me, and 
you know, so it's as long as it's entertaining, it has to be entertaining. That's what I think it really is. I mean, one of my other personal favourite things about this film is the um, the direct reference to Moby Dick, but also the the sort of the story itself has a bit of Moby Dick esque. Um, qualities to it where Picard wants to take revenge against the Borg for what for what they did to him and his anger and his pursuit of this revenge takes him to the point and that's when we get that line um, the line's drawn here and if, you know, if you've never thought about it that way look at it that way, look at it like Moby Dick because that's what he did he, he chased down that whale because it took his leg, he wanted revenge and it consumed him <laughs> There's a bit more to it than that, though. There is, because the, well, the, the point is because the, there is the suggest. Worf just suggests that they actually just abandon ship and they all go and hide out on Earth and live their lives and, you know, they'll, they'll just hide away quietly somewhere. But Picard knows deep down if they don't, the Borg will assimilate the entire world. They will assimilate Earth back in the well, the, when the first century, aren't we? So that, that will happen. So it won't be safe for them. And he knows that. So he's trying to protect. And, I, and it, it is a bit of a moment where he, he calls Wolf a coward and tells him to get off my bridge. You know, And that's a kind of a, like, whoa, no one calls Wolf a coward. But it's true. It, if, they, if they didn't beat them there, he's right, the line had to be drawn. Otherwise, that earth would have been assimilated. And that would have been the end of... There would be no federation whatsoever. So I think it's more than just revenge. I think that is a protecting humanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's elements... I mean, not taking that away from it, but you, the, the, the consumption of... I mean, instead of being pragmatic like a captain should be in this situation, you know, you can see him, especially on the holodeck. I mean, the scene where he shoots the, the hell out of this bog and he's like, you know, I think he's dead, you know. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting at. That's... You know? that's, 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 that's that's more Picard's PTSD, which they're touching on there, rather mm. than is. So I think the the big difference is that in the Wrath of Khan, that was just pure vengeance. He could have gone off. He had a ship. They could do anywhere they wanted to. They could have gone on a very happy life. But he wanted to track down Kirk to get revenge. Whereas Picard's is slightly different. He's not just going after them for the sake of going after them. He's going after them because he wants to save humanity. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's yeah. multiple elements. I mean, I'm taking that from it, but not disregarding that and vice versa. And that's the beautiful thing about what we're doing here is we're having opinions, we're having talks, and, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. Uh, but, but, yeah, and... Um, a per, on a personal note as well, we also see uh, Ethan Phillips uh, in the film, and I believe he's uncredited in this. I don't think he actually is credited in the film. And we do, of course, see the image. The image. Yes, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. so we get to yes, testing yeah. an analgesic cream. And back. Mhm. Mm so, so. so yeah, there's uh, it's about the closest Voyager ever got to a film. Um, I you know I reckon they should make one. Oh, they should have done. I, I would love it if they had done. I would, I would absolutely love it. I think it, they yeah. should have done. Yeah. 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 Oh, and DS9 as well, actually. I mean, Year, of, Year of Hell could have been an absolutely amazing film mm. if they'd have done that as a film instead of... So, but anyway, we're digressing here, folks. Yeah. Um, anything else on uh, First Contact? I, I, I think one of the things that First Contact done really well was, like, if you've watched Enterprise and then the episode Regeneration as well, um, so, you know, First Contact went back to... It used... Star Trek lore mm. to create a film and then subsequently there's this fantastic episode of Enterprise. I think it's season two in our Enterprise season two, where I love Enterprise, 
season one and season two wasn't the greatest, but there's a fantastic episode called Regeneration, which links directly mm-hmm. into First Contact, and it's a great episode. And that's just you know one of the things that makes Star Trek great when it's able to you know it's cross, the, isn't cross, it's cross the centuries, cr- cross the centuries. And you know, have great storytelling. That's when it's at its best. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. And what else can we say about the film? I mean, it's just like I say, it's, it is. There is one thing though, if we've got time for it. One of the most there is a niggle that gets me every time with this film. The scene when they're on the deflector dish and they're uh, working to detach it. Mm-hmm. Now. These things bug me because uh, the, the, I can't remember exactly which one of them it was, but there's one of them that moved that uh, that maglock, mm. and it opens the scene, and the maglock's in one position. He moves it. You cut back to his face or to the to the scene, and then you go back to the maglock, and it's in the other. It's in a completely different position. So it's one of those continuity errors that I've and I've probably spoiled it for a few people because it's one of those things that you don't that's, notice that's it. Completely ruined the whole film. <laughs> that maglock not being in the same position in two different. But it's it's one of those things where when you watch it, you see it, and once you see it once, you will not unsee it. You will see it every time you watch the film. It's only a small thing. It's just one of those little petty things. But it is, it's the one thing I always see every time I watch that film. There's probably hundreds of continuity errors in it. But that's the one that sticks out. But that's the only one. It's not even really a negative, really. It's, it's just something that happens in Hollywood yeah. all the time. But what's he talk- what is he talking about? It's a nitpick, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great movie. You done? Yeah. See what I've got to work with here, guys. So, yeah, um, join us back in a few moments where we will get on to Insurrection. Sarah, would you like to introduce this uh, segment for us, please? Okay, we're now going to talk about the ninth film, Insurrection. Well done, you did it. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you. The film about cosmetic surgery. Mm. <laughs> no, it's not really about cosmetic surgery. Um, I actually like the storyline in this. I think it's it's a really it's really good. It, it's it's one of those things. It's an issue about persecution and moving and you know and all this sort of you know all, too many big words for me. Um, it's got a lot in common with what's been going on in the world in terms yeah. of displacement of people. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, I didn't see this one at the cinema. It somehow managed to pass me by altogether. I saw First Contact at the cinema, I saw Nemesis at the cinema. But this one somehow I missed out on it. I've only ever watched it on video, and I'm surprised to find out that it's actually often maligned by a lot of the fans because I really, really enjoyed it. I think, I think that to be honest with you, for, I think I can see why it is because it's a very deep, serious story. You know, I mean, a lot of the stories in the TV shows and the the previous films and stuff like that, they have some serious elements to them, but there's that jovial Trek undertone to it. This one has a really deep message to it, and I think that's why. It, and it's a, it's a, and it's a it's a slow moving story. There's very little in the way of until you get to more or less the end, about halfway, three quarters of the way through, you don't actually see any major 
sort of action, you know, like pew pew, you know, that sort of thing, you know. I mean, um, it's good people say, but there's also quite a lot of humour in it. Isn't there, there is, there is. When they try and recapture data, right? <laughs> He's like, I have not met the new members of the crew yet. <laughs> Do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, Captain. I haven't met all the new members of the crew yet. Have you noticed how your breasts are getting firmer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, smooth as an android's bum. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Worf, have you been fighting? It is the gorge. No. <laughs> There's some you, uh, fling on with acne. Def- definitely feeling aggressive tendencies, sir. <laughs> and I've, I've always the, the one where they, they, they decide that, because obviously Picard basically, he actually, I mean, we, we have discussed before, Picard has actually, um, he has broken the Prime Directive on occasions, but this one he actually commits treason against Starfleet, right. and they all join him. And they're like they're not going to leave him behind, you know. It's that lovely camaraderie, and it's where the data grabs that the, the, the kind of the well, it's a phaser rifle, really, isn't it? And he's like lock and load, you know. And they're all like really raring to go. It's, well, it's, he, he, here's where a lot of the fans that seem to pick on insurrection, and a lot of the disparaging comments or negative comments about insurrection revolve around the Prime Directive mm-hmm. and the fact that Picard chooses to defend the Baku to keep them on the planet, mm-hmm. but the Baku aren't the um, indigenous right, species to the planet. Needed, yes. Therefore, Picard is wrong to do so. Starfleet are right, and the benefits that the planet can bring with its radiation and serum properties and all this uh, fountain of youth storyline, mm-hmm. which is at the heart of the story, and the benefit that it can bring to the billions of people make it worth it. Now, I think it's way more nuanced than that in this particular case. I've never heard any other fan bring this up. The fact that the Baku have been there for hundreds of years before Starfleet even had a Prime Directive means where does the Prime Directive sit in that argument? It's a good point, actually, yeah. yeah. And you combine that with the Season 6 episode of The Next Generation called The Last Journey, I believe, where it's not a particularly great episode, it's the one where the traveller takes Wesley away for the final time. Yes! Cardassians <laughs> doing the exact same and thing as the, the Baku. Well, it's not the Cardassians, it's basically Starfleet at the behest of the Cardassians mm-hmm. instructing Jean Luc Picard to remove these red Indians that have located, relocated from Earth to this planet. This planet finds itself the edge of the disputed Cardassian zone, mm-hmm. and Starfleet has decided to surrender that planet. And Picard's sent there, or the Enterprise is sent there under Picard's command to forcibly remove these people. And then Picard actually carries out that order, ultimately in the end, with some bloodshed because the Cardassians come down. Before that, you find out that Picard's ancestor has actually been involved in forcibly removing Red Indians in North America in the 18th or 19th century. Um, And I think that has to all play a part in Picard's thinking when he gets there to the Baku. Mm-hmm. And there's this, the fantastic, I think it's right up there with the, the line must be drawn here speech when he's talking to, I can't remember the character's name, it's Anthony Zerbo. Admiral Dewitty. How you. many does it take? No, how many people does it take before it comes wrong? Mm. And it's a very poignant, a very poignant I, I, speech, yeah. I, I, that's why I will publicly, and this is the first time I've had to publicly defend it in front of four people. <laughs> 
three of them are here. That's why I will always defend insurrection. And I don't accept the, a lot of fans' argument on the Prime Directive because it's way more nuanced than that. The fact that the Baku were there, well, not indigenous, they were there before the Prime Directive even existed. So how does the Prime Directive apply not, to those people? They're not actually a, a, a warped civilization either because they're not meant to interfere with civilizations who don't have the advanced technology. They have to be warped capable civilizations. Well, and although they, 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 they are, yeah, they are, but they're, they're kind of this Amish type community in that they've actually given all that up. They don't, although they're aware of it, they don't want to, they just want to live with the land. So there is also the kind of like, they should leave them well alone. You know, I mean, rather than harness, uh, the, I think the, the the kind of the um, at the beginning they touch on it because they talk about how the Borgs decimated an awful lot of the Federation and they kind of need to take what they can and it's like but we're getting into bed with the, with the, this this race um, who not none of us can spoiler remember. spoiler alert spoiler alert but turn out to actually be Baku originally but they're this this sonar and, aren't they and the leader possibly killed Amadeus yes. In reference to uh, F. Murray Abraham plays the leader of the sort of the Sora and yeah. also yeah, played he murdered, he murdered Salieri. Mm, that's a legendary. But what a great actor. An absolutely brilliant actor. I think, I think and I love the be. bit where he's getting his treatment and he's kind of like, Oh come on, have a little bit of skin stretching, it'll do you good, Admiral, and you're like, Oh yeah. It's a good it's a good film. I mean the the, the talent again are, are the, the, the acting and it's brilliant. Uh, I mean this is another one of Jonathan Frakes, isn't it? Jonathan yeah, Jonathan Frakes directed it, but it was a departure in the writing because they went back to Michael Pillar. It was actually a Michael Pillar um that wrote this, not, mm. Bran- not Brannan or Ronald D. Moore. Mm-hmm. It's Michael Pillar that wrote it, with quite a bit of input from Patrick Stewart. Uh, you can get it online. It's a Michael Pillar book that he wrote before he passed, um, sadly. Mm. And what I can't remember the name of it, but you get as well. Yeah. Uh, Oh, it'll come back to me. You chat. It's going to come back to me just now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... Fade out. Fade, fade out. out. Yeah, barely, barely even got a word in it. Wait, so, as is always the case. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got a bit of everything in it. It's got the great... I mean, it's got the comedy. It's got the storyline. Uh, I mean, how badass is um, Riker at the end? Um, you know, when he's... he's they're going to name the manoeuvre, you know, call it the Riker manoeuvre. You know, he's there piloting the Enterprise with his joystick, and I'm going to ram this down the sonar's throat and stuff like. The, and the, to the joystick fair, thing was a bit PlayStation. It, it was, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you know, you know, toys and toys. Um, but the other thing as well is, um, I I like it's one of the examples where we actually see. Uh, it's not a strong swear word, but. Um, Riker does actually swear in it. Uh, I believe it's something that he says these, you know, bastards or something. Or these, you know, the, he he says something about the the, the sonar. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like yes, people don't like swearing in Trek. I get why. But just because it's an advanced civilization doesn't mean that it's disappeared completely. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of words we now use that used to be bad words that we use normally in everyday life. You know, so maybe, you know, they've lost their, their meaning. But overall, great, great, great. Uh, I love the, the, the whole 
Klingon acne thing. That's just hilarious. The puberty. It is the Gorge. Again, going back to Data, there's a bit of a theme coming along here because Data seems to be a a constant in the films for me. Um, When he goes uh, looking for the the ship, well, they don't know there's a ship there initially, but Mm -hmm. when he goes looking in the lake and he finds the hollow ship, um, I can't remember if it's before or after, it's like, you know, the, the laddie asks, can he, you know, does he sink? Does he swim? You know, and he pops up and he's like, I'm all... It's, oh, it's, it's absolutely when... Uh, the they jump out, she, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's when the, the lady falls in, they come under attack after finding the ship. That's it. That's close. She falls in, she can't swim, and Data jumps in, and then he, he's, he floats, and he's like, I'm also designed to use as a flotation device. device. <laughs> and, and it's the sound effects. If the sound yeah. effects weren't there, it wouldn't have been as funny, but you get the sound effects of but it. But I love his relationship with the wee boy as well. That's It's, it's lovely. It's yeah, he's he's uh, amazement for the you know because all the way through it, Data has always been Pinocchio, isn't he? Is the boy who he wants to be real. Yes. And that, that this this young boy who's kind of bewailing the fact that he's he's really clumsy and he keeps falling over himself and Data's amazement at him is that but you're constantly growing, you know. He's like I will always be, the, you know, my legs will always be this length. There'll be no change. But you every single day you wake up, but it's, it, you, it's different. I'd just like to give a shout out to Jerry Goldsmith who done. The soundtrack for both First Contact and Insurrection. It's beautiful music. I think the yeah. music for both films is incredible. I think we're definitely going to have to do a short bit uh, in the future about the. I mean, I've said it before, but we're definitely going to have to do it where we'll, we'll do the the, the music in, mm-hmm. in Star Trek. We'll definitely have to do that. Um, so um, yes, Gregor, uh, we're going to move on to your favourite. Everyone's nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. So join us back in a couple of ticks, and uh, we'll talk about Nemesis. Are we doing Nemesis or what? You can do Nemesis if you want. Right? So okay. What you do in your spare time is up to you. So what we're doing is we're now on Star Trek Nemesis, so can we take a moment to remember Star Trek The Next Generation? Mm. Okay, that's a moment. And the good films. Yeah, I am... Um, Oh God! Please. I think it gets slated too much. Come on, I mean, yes, it's there's a lot of things wrong with it, but I think it gets slated a little too much. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. It's, it's, it's not great. Yeah, we would, we, we actually watched this one together. At the movies, mm-hmm. we we saw this down at Ocean Terminal actually, didn't we? It was actually the first one I actually seen in the movies ever because all the That's other ones I've seen on on. That, uh, that, is, video. Infor- that is unfortunate. Um, I think the first one I saw the movie was four, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, we we saw it at uh, Ocean Terminal and we came away kind of underwhelmed, I think, didn't we? It was okay, but it hadn't lived up to previous expectations and. The real measure of it is that, like the generations, that the first time I saw it, I wasn't happy about certain aspects of it. I've watched it again since then, and actually, it's not as bad as I remember. I've actually quite enjoyed certain elements of it. And then there's others like Wrath of Khan, I will watch over and over again. And First Contact and Insurrection, I will watch over and over again. They just get better. But see, when I watch Nemesis again, I just see more that's not quite right with it. Um, there's some lovely moments in. I think one of the the biggest travesties of Nemesis is that a lot of the really good content was actually deleted. In particular, there's a scene with Picard and Data, which I make a habit of reading 
all the novels that are produced from the films. You also make a habit of bringing this up as well, because this is not the first time you've brought this up. Is it? I think it is, actually. No, it's not. You've, you have brought it up... Uh... Mentioning the, the novels? Uh, no, the, the scene that you're about to explain ah, to us. Right, okay. So, the scene exists in the book that accompanies mm-hmm. the, the film Nemesis. There, there is a deleted scene which involves Data and Picard, and it talks about family and what family means, and the fact that you don't actually have to be related to be family. And Picard refers to the fact that he thinks of Diana and Riker as being a, members of his family, and he thinks of Data as being part of his family as well, despite none of them being related by blood. And they chop that scene out. If you get a hold of the copy of the DVD, it will be in the extras and you can watch it. And I just, for the life of me, can't understand why anybody would dump that because it means everything when you get to the very end, which, big spoiler alert, Data gets killed off. What? That scene means so much more. And the other problem is, which is which is somewhere where I'll go where books are better than films sometimes, because if you read the book, and I know you'll be like, nah, um, it actually goes into what Data's thinking the moment when he beams aboard to switch places with Picard to save his life. And in the book, it references the fact that Data's last thoughts are, will they miss me? Which is so poignant, and you can't get that across on film because it's going to be too obvious if he sees it out loud. You can't do a thinking in his head. And I think the movie just doesn't manage to bring that to the screen, that, that whole emotion of him wondering, you know, they're my family, will they miss me when I'm gone? Because he knows what he's doing, and he's doing it because they're so important to him. He wants to save Picard, and then his last thoughts, that as he basically blows up, sorry, people, but data blows up, and that's that's him, um, is, is will, will, will my family miss me? And it's, it's beautifully moving. They just don't get it. They just don't bring that to the screen, and I think part of that is the deleted scene, which we don't get to see at the movie, and the fact that you just you can't put that kind of stuff on the screen. So I, I do think it, it it misses the mark in so many places. Not to mention the fact that I'm not really sure who cast Tom Hart. Brilliant actor. I mean, this was it's a launch pad for him. He was amazing. Oh, I mean, look where he is now. But who who had got their prescription mixed up? They thought he looked like a young Patrick Stewart because it's, it's not really working. Um, I don't think, even try and explain it away it's like yeah the cloning didn't quite go right and I don't quite look like you and you're like no you, you don't pal you don't look anything like him um, so the, the whole kind of storyline is a wee bit kind of like it's just the thing, the thing is with that though is that he's not at that is it that uh, still at that adolescent stage of the you know so but that's when kind of hair <laughs> so it just doesn't work. And I know James McAvoy has come out recently and said he wants to play a young Picard in a new spin-off series, and you know, because he has played um, Patrick Stewart's character, he Savior. Yeah, he can do a good. Um, so it, it's conceivable. I just, yeah, they're just. A, I think Tom Hardy's a brilliant actor. I just don't think he was cast correctly in that film. I don't think the story quite worked. I think the ending was a bit anticlimactic, I think. I mean, it's just like you have this dramatic scene and then all you have is Shinzon just... and that god-awful clack. I mean, yes, I'm going to build a massive, great, big super weapon that destroys planets and I'm going to give it a 25-minute countdown. Yeah, yeah, why would and the other oh. bit, I don't understand where I mean I know the the whole B four thing, but that that was a dead end storyline. That whole driving around in the moon buggy at the beginning in the desert, what was that all about? Seriously, what the actual fuck was that about? 
I didn't get it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, it's ten I, minutes of movie where you're like, what's going I, on? I, I do not know. Apparently, um, Patrick Stewart wanted that in the film. He wanted well, the, the is, buggy. I'm, I'm going to be controversial. He wanted to have fun in he a, wanted in to a, have in a, the, in a, yeah, in a yeah. buggy act. See, that's uh, as the TNG films progressed and actors became more powerful. There were certain elements to the D- TNG films, largely from the input of actors that came to the detriment of the TNG films, and that climaxed in Nemesis, right? I do not know where to start with Nemesis. I absolutely don't. As long as you know where to stop, that's the main thing. Right. <laughs> Here we go. Let's time this round. The, how was, long have we got? Right, let, let's start with a good. Let's start with the good stuff. Sorry, I disagree with you. Tom Hardy's performance. Um, oh no, I think his performance is fantastic. I just don't think he was the right cast member. I think we can, all, think we can all agree that his performance was. Exemplary. And he has yeah, gone on to some exemplary performances. That was his launch pad, and it's fantastic. It's just he does not look like a young Picard. Right. That so wasn't right. Let's let's get the Picard and the data stuff out the way very early in this round. Excuse me. I think we're going to need another 10 minutes for this one. So, one of the things with Picard that we've seen in the films versus the TV series we went from thoughtful Picard to diehard Picard as the series went on. In First Contact, the original script had Jean-Luc Picard on the planet building the Phoenix and Patrick Stewart said, why am I not on the bridge of my ship? So they altered the script so that Patrick Stewart was back on the Enterprise, fighting the board. He certainly, if you come back to read Fade Out, the Michael Pillar book about the the making of Insurrection, much of that was changed at Patrick Stewart's request. Okay. Well, one of the other things that the the, team, the next generation films did was that they became the Jean-Luc Picard data show. And that reached its pinnacle in Nemesis. Mm. I can't remember who wrote the screenplay for Nemesis. His name's escaped me. I think his name's something Nolan. Doesn't matter. The story was a Rick Berman and Brent Spiner story. And Brent had been lobbying for years to get killed off. And the only reason he was killed off was because Brent wanted him killed off. Isn't that usually the case? That was the only reason he was wanting. Having in Star Trek 2, Spock wanted to... That's why I don't understand what P4 was about unless you were going to do some kind of reverse swap. And they didn't. But that's what I'm saying. It became became the Picard and Data show. And you tell me, and First Contact and Insurrection and Nemesis... How big a role did Riker have? In insert, well, actually, he had a fairly big role. You know, in Insurrection, he gets sent away from the planet to go and rescue, to go and contact Starfleet. He, he has one space yes. battle, and then that's it. Yeah, but it's one hell of a space battle, let's be honest. Anyway, we talked about that. Yeah. Nemesis, Nemesis. Nemesis, it's like, like, if you, and there's lots of stuff on YouTube. And we've seen Marina at conventions, and if you mention she the director's know. name, Stuart Baird, to her, she spits absolute feathers. She's not a fan of the mind rape scene. She's not a fan of the mind rape scene. She's it's not a fan of 
the director's approach to the actor. She's not a fan of the director's approach to the story. She's not a fan of the, the director's approach to the characterisation in the film. And I have to agree with her absolutely 100%. There is a redeeming feature, though. Let's have a positive, because it does open with the wedding. Yes, for the and first time Michael ever, they Troy. managed to keep Wesley Crusher quiet. And, but how lovely is that wedding? And Data singing, and then... You know, we'll, we'll, um, I, I do love that. Uh, I do love that moment. Um, it starts off so well with that because actually that is a lovely scene, and then we, we go off into it, uh, blue, uh, blue skies. Blue skies. Never saw the sun yeah. shining so bright. And I just love Wolf's reaction, and you're thinking like, okay, this is going good, and then it it it, it does go downhill, unfortunately. Um, but and we finally get to see them mad because I mean god those two people were made for each other so there, there is one good thing that came out of it Riker and Troy did get married finally yes as they should have done but yeah the, 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 I just I just don't buy the clone story I don't buy B4 B4 was a complete dead end of a story because there was like when you see Data Blog and you're thinking, okay, they're going to have switched it, it's B4, or he's downloaded himself into B4 so that he still lives, and it's like, no, none of that happened. I think we could... Look, it um, doesn't make, I thought it was going to be another Star Trek 2, you know, he's downloaded the down catcher. Down, down, It didn't happen. So what was the point in B4? I think, to be honest with you guys, this is definitely one of the ones we can revisit because, I mean, we could do a whole show of him just ranting about Nemesis. I mean, thank you guys for lasting all the way through this. Uh, uh, Gregor, when you're done, please turn the TV off. Once again, we do really appreciate you coming along and sharing these moments with us. Um, as always, we for those of you watching on YouTube, we will have the uh, Twitter handles displayed around the screen for you to look at. And if you so wish, please do follow us. Uh, myself, uh, Alba Android. Uh, Gregor at Crabbit Ginger and if you just want to follow the podcast in general uh, at Spock Week Gregor, Sarah, brilliant as always I'm going to have to try and get another avatar for you because that's three shows you've hijacked so far um, it makes me wonder you know, if you want on the show if you want to you know, just ask Just you just keep turning up she just keeps turning up and you invade my property I was invited. You take over my dining table. I was invited. You drink my water. I am the director. What else am I going to do? And the Yorkshire tea. You've had tea bags. You've you've had multiple tea bags. I asked him to reuse them and he wouldn't. Actual tea bags, by the way, not just. Sorry, what? We'll explain to you later. Tea bags? I think he's doing a tea bagging reference. Tea bagging? You really don't know, do you? Sorry, what? Gregor will show you later. Right, guys. Um, it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from them. Uh, please don't sue us, BBC. Bye. Live long, Live long prosper. and prosper. Thank you for listening to Spock a Week. If you like what you are listening to and you would like to continue, please subscribe on the capture of your choice. Also, if you would like to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash SpockLeak. We'd be happy for your support, but we're so glad that you're listening to us anyway. Big shout out to all our listeners across the world, from the United States, here in the UK, from Germany, and also from Hungary. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you do continue. See you next week.